Welcome to Center Ice. It is the 16th of January, our first episode of 2022. And Mac, the more things change, the more they say, seem to stay the same here. And uh, I know we've ripped on the Edmonton Oilers a fair bit this season, but just with how they've been the last month or so since we've had an episode, things seem to just be going from bad to worse. And I would argue it's almost at a breaking point. And you, you just look at it, McDavid's face from last night. Another horrible loss last night. They were up big on the Senators going into the third period. You have a five-goal comeback by the Senators to take the win in overtime. And Edmonton, it just it, they're on a complete free fall right now. And I, as I said, Mac, I really think they're at a breaking point. What do you think? 100% they are. And you and I have been very vocal about the Oilers for years now. And we continue to be. So we felt like it was a good topic to lead the show off and you mentioned that cold streak since december 3rd matt they've lost 11 out of their last 13 games their upcoming schedule has them playing florida tampa bay washington nashville and carolina among others good luck with that i think you're exactly right there matt their last 10 two six and two they've lost three in a row and as you mentioned their upcoming schedule is not easy and I really do think, Mac, that Edmonton, this has been an ongoing problem for years. You and I, it feels like we're beating a dead horse here, because, and I really think we are. But if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, I really do think you got to start getting uh, nervous about whether McDavid and Drysaddle are going to stay. Uh, I th- There's been rumors floating around, Mac, and you know I don't like to put rumors on this show unless they're coming from a verified source. But there's certainly been speculation the last 48 hours that McDavid is talking to his agent and trying to find a way out of Edmonton if he can. And I'll say this, who can blame him? You're arguably the best player in the league. And yeah, you're getting paid a lot of money. But with what Ken Holland's been doing on the managerial side, with the lack of goaltending, the lack of defensive depth, the lack of offensive depth, it's just been you and Dreisaitl for the last five or six years, that's all you've been doing your entire career. You had one good year where you made it to the playoffs and went on a small run to the second round. And you thought you were going to build off of that, but it's just been sporadic playoff appearances since then. And when you do make the playoffs, you get swept by a team like Chicago that had no business being in that series against a team like Edmonton. So if you're Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle, I absolutely think they're trying to find a way out of Edmonton. And I really do think right now, Mac, it's just a matter of time until some, until Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl publicly demands for a trade from Edmonton. And I think once one of them does it, the other one's going to do it. Because I think those two are the together. They're good friends. We know that. The two of them are the only reasons why they're both sticking in Edmonton. So once one block falls, the other one's going to fall right behind him. And if that happens and Ken Holland can't turn things around really quickly here, Edmonton's in a lot of trouble because you and I've talked about this as well before, Mac. When you take away Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, of course, there's a few other little pieces in there too, but those are the two big ones. Once you take those two away, this Edmonton team really should be kind of down near where Seattle is. Vancouver should be in front of them. And in fact, Vancouver's only one point behind them right now and Vancouver's on a winning streak. So I think a lot of things need to change here in Edmonton from 
the player personnel, the coaching staff, to the managerial front office team. Things need to change. And you and I were talking about the Oilers before we came on the show here, Mac. This team, as you mentioned, arguably hasn't been good since Gretzky. Yeah, they had the one run to the 2006 Stanley Cup final, but since Mark, Mark Messier, Wayne Gretzky era, this team has not been consistently good. They've been weighed down by bad general managers like Shirelli and Ken Holland, and I don't see anything changing. And it's it's a real shame because I'd love to see Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl lead this Oilers team through the Pacific and through the West. It'd be exciting for Canada. It'd be great for hockey to see two of the league's best players in the playoffs again, but it's not going to happen. And I think that the duo that is the best in the league, they're going to get broken up in the next couple of years because they both won out of Edmonton. What say you, Mac? Oh, I think so too. And you and I are just amazed that it's taken this long. But the one other point I really want to hammer home here, Matt, is think about the last five, 10 years in hockey, okay? You've had a new team come in in the Vegas Golden Knights who have just been extremely successful and just continue to impress us all the time with the moves they make and the roster they build and just the player development and all the decisions they make. Carolina. Carolina has moved on from what was, if you look back, I believe it was 2006, like you were talking about, an older team that was spending well over the salary cap wasn't a thing at the time. And they have become this really good young team that is going to be a force to be reckoned with for a while. Okay. You've got the growth of hockey in Florida, Tampa Bay winning Stanley cups, Florida really improving their team. And there's so many other things that have happened since then. And the Oilers are in that same position where, you know, it's just, there's not enough improvement year to year. You mentioned the horrible management. You, you mentioned Shirelli, Holland. We haven't even talked about Kevin Lowe and how poorly he managed this team. It's just, it's not good enough. And to me, I'm surprised they didn't make a coaching decision or a coaching change for that matter. I think it's it's about time we got to that breaking point, don't you? I mean, it just seemed like everything's been building up. You have to remember that McDavid is not 18, 19 years old anymore. He's in the prime of his career, like you said. You're talking about a generational talent, another extremely talented player in Leon Dreisaitl. Fans have absolutely nothing to be upset for if these players demand a trade. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I agree with you. Something will happen, and if it's just a coaching change, I wouldn't be shocked, but we're definitely hoping for more because those players deserve better. You have to be really worried about the state of the Edmonton Oilers right now, just overall, as a fan, as an observer, whatever you want to call it. They're just not in a good position whatsoever. Absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned McDavid's age because he's 25 right now, so he's in his mid-20s, and currently his current contract will keep him in Edmonton until the end of the 2025 2026 season so that's another five years actually not five years four years from now and if you're Connor McDavid that's basically the rest of of your prime now with a player with the talent of a Connor McDavid I'm sure he'll be quite good into his early and even mid-30s but you're going to be 29 when that contract expires if you decide to ride it out in Edmonton that is the absolute prime of your career completely gone and of course when you sign that contract 
you thought that this Edmonton team, they're going to build around me. They're going to build around Leon Dreisaitl as well. And they had a pretty good first year when they moved to the new arena and at Rogers place there, they went on a little run and we, we thought going into the off season, they're going to build on that. And it just hasn't happened. And I, I think it's just a matter of time, Matt. It really is. And as sad as that'll be for Edmonton Oilers fans who love Connor McDavid and Connor McDavid, it's no secret. He does love the city of Edmonton. Edmonton is a nice city. There's great people there. It can be pretty cold in the winter as uh, any Canadian will tell you, but Connor McDavid is a big part of the community there. And I'm sure he'd love to stick around if the team gave him the opportunity to win there. But when you're Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid, and you two are in the prime of your career, and it seems like the team you're on is spinning tires, you're going to demand a trade. And I think when that happens, this is going to be, you know, the this could be the biggest trade since I can ever remember, Mac. Well, Let's move on to the Reed Boucher uh, sexual assault. This is something that we have to talk about because, first of all, it's it's just another terrible thing that's happened this year in hockey. But it's something that deserves to have our attention. So Reed Boucher, if you weren't aware of this, pled guilty to sexually assaulting a 12-year-old girl when he was 17 in 2011. That girl also happened to be living with Boucher as his billet sister. Really, really terrible stuff. And I can't imagine what those last 11 years have been like for her. But at least what you can say is finally that verdict has been handed out. And maybe that will start to bring her some peace. We'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to see that justice has been served in this occasion. But, you know, things like this, unfortunately, happen a lot more than we're made aware of. Because a lot of these things, you know, you look back to last year with the Kyle Beach saga as well. A lot of these things just happen and are never reported or, you know, go on for years. And people are afraid to to speak up about it and you know it's such a traumatizing thing and it's a horrible horrible thing and you know it's speechless when you think about it because I have a sister and I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to have you know someone you love who you know very well and they went through something just awful like this yeah for sure so stay tuned and see what happens in that regard but like I said we we did have to pass that news your way Let's move on to the All-Star game. And some really interesting news here, Matt. A lot of All-Stars named, and two things struck me here. Number one, a lot of these guys are young. And number two, how about 18 first-time All-Stars this year? I think that's really cool. Yeah, I do as well, because part of the problem with the All-Star game the past few years, as you know, Mac, is that a lot of the time it's it's the same characters going over and over again. And it sort of makes it boring, but I always like seeing some new faces, some new talent. I'm really looking forward to the skills competition this year, especially fastest skater, because a lot of these guys have a lot of speed to them. They've never competed in that competition before. Like Drake Batherson alone, he's a really, really fast player. Everyone sort of knows that. And he alone is going to be worth watching on the skills competition. But there's so much talent that is going to this all-star game. This year, Adam Fox, Kirill Kaprizov, Kyle Connor, Drake Batherson, Nick Suzuki, Darlene, 
Jack Campbell, Alex DeBrinkett, Jordan Cairo, and, and many more. This is a star-studded lineup here, Mac. The three-on-three competition on the main All-Star game is going to be incredible. Yeah, for sure. And of that list, you just named a few of the guys, but 12 players are 25 years old and under on that list. And obviously, we do have to give a tip of the hat to our guy, Mark Stone. First All-Star appearance. Let's have a little clap for him, shall we? Well-deserved. Thatcher Demko, Adam Pellick, UC Saros, very deserving. Jack Campbell, just a lot of guys that really deserve to be there. And, and I think I share that excitement with you. I'm looking forward to it. The three-on-three challenge is usually the best part, excuse me, of every All-Star game. But with all these new guys here ready to prove themselves, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I do too. I think when you got guys that are young going to their first All-Star game, it makes it a lot more exciting. Because guys like Crosby, Ovechkin, they've done it many, many times. They'd rather just have the time off at this point. But if you're a young player, this is a exciting new experience. And let's not forget this game is also taking place in Las Vegas. So that alone makes it quite exciting, in my opinion. And I'm really looking forward to the All-Star game this year. Remember, we haven't had one in a couple of years now because of COVID now. So this is our first uh, All-Star game in quite a while. And it's going to be quite fun. And I believe the rosters, they aren't quite set yet, Mac. There still are a few spots remaining that I believe fans are going to vote on, no? Yeah, that's right. There's some last man in votes taking place. I will say that if that if you want something fun, I know the Flames uh, have been posting around. I believe the Sens have too. Vote for Brady Kachuk and uh, Matthew Kachuk on the last man in so we can <laughs> have the brothers together in the All-Star game again because that was so much fun in St. Louis. Got to have that again. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, speaking of all-stars, former all-star John Klingberg. It sounds like Jeff Merrick reporting that he is very likely to be traded at the trade deadline. We talked about how we expected Jim Nil to be active, but I mean, this was a little bit surprising to hear, but at the same time, I think we kind of expected it. So let's quickly go over which teams we think will be in the hunt for John Klingberg here, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. We've got got a few candidates here but let's let's get the obvious ones out of the way i think first things first you always got to put down vegas or new york because they may be capped out but there just always seems to be a way that those two teams in particular find a way to land a big trade candidate like Klinberg or you know a big free agent so i think it's always good to have them down as trade candidates for obvious reasons but now let's get into the teams here mac that could use a player like Klingberg. I think there's a lot of candidates in the Metropolitan Division in particular. You look at a team like Carolina, they've got the cap space, they've got the assets. They could certainly use an extra player like Klingberg to shore up that defense. A team like Washington could certainly use it as well. And uh, could you imagine that, Mac, with Klingberg and Carlson, for example? That would be quite (laughs) the combination. And I know they wouldn't play together but on, on the same defensive pairing, but just having those two in your top four would be quite something. Speaking of those contending teams, Boston has really heated up lately. They look good again. Tuka Rask is back. They've got that goaltending depth again. I think they'll be in the running for him as well because they are still in win-now mode. A couple interesting teams you mentioned, and I agree they deserve to be in this conversation. Well, actually three. You've got LA who have really stepped it up and they're now tied for second in the Pacific Division. Calgary is on a bit of a slide lately. They could use more star power on the back end. And a wild card you mentioned, the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, Stevie Y is well known to go after big names depending on what the price is. 
I think this one's probably a little unlikely based on where they are in the standings and how many teams are going to be interested in Klingberg, but it's definitely worth mentioning. You have to mention Pittsburgh here. They've yeah, been really good lately, and they could definitely use another defender like Klingberg. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it, one thing is for certain, Mac, when uh, Jim Nail has his phone ready on trade deadline, a lot of people are going to come calling for Klingberg because it's not often a player of Klingberg's talent, especially with how valuable defensemen are and top four defensemen in particular are. They don't come on the trade market often. If you can land a guy like Klingberg, especially if you can get him for the right price and shore up your defense going into a, what would be a tough playoff run, teams are willing to pay an awful lot for him. Yeah, for sure. And I think just overall, Jimmy Nill is going to be busy on trade deadline day. He's going to get a lot of calls, not just on Klingberg. You're talking Pavelski, maybe a guy like Gurionov. There's a lot of players that are going to be in the mix. There are certain ones, obviously, they wouldn't move. But it's going to be interesting to see what Dallas does to set themselves up for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Dallas said they're going to be selling off. And you and I, as you and I mentioned earlier, we've talked about them a fair bit on the show. And Jim Nail's taking the right approach here. And it's going to be very interesting to see what the Dallas Stars roster looks like after the trade deadline. For sure. Okay, let's get into some hot streaks and cold streaks. And right off the top, let's start with the Los Angeles Kings, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. The LA Kings, a team that I'm surprised hasn't been getting more attention because they're right there with the Vegas Golden Knights and and Anaheim Ducks near the top of the Pacific Division. You look at their last 10 here, Mac, 7-3-0. They're on a four-game win streak. And this is a team that you and I have talked about before as a team that was on the rise. They had a lot of young talent. And now it seems to me like that young talent is finally hitting the ground running. They've got them up in the NHL. And LA is a team that people should absolutely keep an eye on for going into the final stretch here because they could absolutely make a run and overtake Vegas as the number one seed here. They're right within striking distance. They're a young, fast, exciting team. They've got good goaltending again. And this is a team that I, if you're in the West, I would keep a very close eye on. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing that's most impressive about LA is how good of a defensive team they've become under Todd McClellan. And you mentioned the young talent. I mean, a lot of guys still haven't made that impact at the NHL level yet. I mean, Turcotte is still on his way. Kupari's starting to make an impact. Obviously, Quinton Byfield, another guy. They have so much talent that is coming to the NHL level, and they already have some really good players. The other thing we wanted to mention on the previous show is what a good year Andre Kopitar is having. I mean, huge bounce back year for him. He's their captain. So that's really important. But right now, like you said, they're tied with Anaheim. You know, Calgary's in a bit of a free fall right now. San Jose, three points behind them. Obviously, it's going to be tough to overtake Vegas, but there's no reason to think this team can't make the playoffs, right? If you look at the issues surrounding some of the other teams in the division, they should be right in that three-horse race the whole time, shouldn't they? Absolutely. And let's not forget that. I, I know this is jumping the gun a little bit here, Mac, but Anaheim's also on a cold streak right now. They're 2-6-2 and two in their last 10 with a three-game losing streak going into their next game. And they're tied with LA at the moment in points with 45, but they're trending in the wrong direction right now. And San Jose is also trending in the right direction. Not quite as hot as LA, but they're at 42 points and they're fourth in the Pacific. So I think that there's a fourth horse in this race, Mac. 
and that's the San Jose Sharks. If Anaheim slips enough here, Mac, a team like San Jose or Calgary might just find their way into that top three in the Pacific. One thing we do have to mention here is Anaheim has 41 games played. Vegas has 39. LA has 38. San Jose has 39. And Calgary has 34. So Anaheim has played by far the most of either of those teams. So those other teams do have games in hand. But really an exciting race developing here in the Pacific Division, even with the struggles of the Edmonton Oilers. So it should be fun to watch the rest of the way. Absolutely. And I, I think one more team worth mentioning in the Pacific here, Mac, is that Calgary, uh, they're 2-7-1 in their last 10. Now keep in mind they haven't played a lot of games, as indicated by the 34 games played versus 38, 39, 40 by everyone else in their division. So that certainly makes a difference. But they're losers of four in a row. and Calgary has struggled as of late, especially with where they were about a month ago. But Calgary can absolutely turn it around. They have the goaltending and the talent to do so. This could just be a rough patch, especially with the big gap between all the games they're playing right now. And they could turn it around if they can get, especially if they can get a bit more consistent. So Calgary's not out of it. And even Edmonton's not out of it either. And I think we should also mention Seattle here quickly. You and I have talked about them before on the show and how they've been struggling mightily this season. They're 1-8-1 in their last 10, and losers of six in a row. So Seattle is not having a great year, to say the least, but it's not too, too surprising, and they are an expansion team in their first year. So things will get better for Seattle. You and I have talked about them before. But certainly, if you're a Seattle new Seattle fan, 1-8-1 is never exciting. A couple more teams to cover here. And this one I really want to get your take on, Matt, because the Florida Panthers right now are tied with the Tampa Bay Lightning for most points in the NHL, obviously atop the conference. But have you heard their home road splits? No, I have not. I know I know it's something crazy. It is ridiculous. Okay. So so this team is pretty much unbeatable at home. They're 21, 3 and 0 at home this year. Okay. On the road, they're five, four, and five. That is wild. That's like some, that's like an NFL home and away split. Like that's something you see in baseball or football where the home home field really, especially baseball. I think that's the best example because there's some baseball teams like the Yankees, for example. I think they're a good comparison here. When they play at home, the Yankees can be unbeatable, but you go out on the road and they're a lot more manageable. But if they can figure out how to win on the road, this Florida team could run away with the Atlantic Mac. One more team to talk about here. We have to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. I know Matt doesn't want to hear it, but eight and two in their last 10. Tristan Jari is having a real nice year. Sidney Crosby and Malkin are back. And if you look at their division, to me, it's a much more manageable playoff run for them this year because, you know, Philadelphia is bad. New Jersey's not good. The Islanders in particular who have given the Penguins trouble are not great. I think they match up well with a uh, New York Rangers team or even Washington Capitals team. I think Carolina would beat them. I think reason to be optimistic about the Penguins. And again, we all we always know they're going to be buyers at the deadline. That's just how they are. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens down the stretch with the Penguins. How can you not be impressed by what they've done this year? Okay. You had injuries and COVID issues for really most of the first half of the season. And you look at where they are in the standings. It's extremely impressive. I mean, you've had players funneled up and down through the AHL to the NHL. Tristan Jari, like I mentioned, has been good. And just another notch in the belt of Mike Sullivan. 
a, a tremendous coaching job here. I mean, I think he deserves a lot of credit for keeping this team positive, even killed, and playing really well. So many players having good seasons for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I will admit Pittsburgh's having a good season. We'll wait and see how they do if they make the playoffs, Mac, because that's where I think the true Penguins may be exposed. But we, we shall see. It's definitely having Crosby and Malkin come back is a key part to any Pittsburgh Penguin success. And let's not forget, Latang, Malkin, and Crosby have been together for 16 years now, Mac. And th- they're one of the best trios in NHL history. They just love scoring points together. They love winning. And this is a Pittsburgh team that they don't have, they probably won't feel a whole lot of pressure down the stretch here because it really is a four horse race in the Metropolitan Division. You've got the Rangers, Hurricanes, Capitals, and Penguins. And then there's a real drop off of over 10 points, almost 15 actually, between Pittsburgh and Columbus, who is in fifth. So there's some breathing room there. And of course, if you're Pittsburgh, you do have to worry about the wild card, but they're right there with the Washington Capitals. So I, they've got a playoff race coming up, but it's probably one of the easier ones in the NHL here. Okay, let's move on to some Ottawa Senators talk. And you had some positive things to say about the Sens, but also Matt Murray recently. Yes. Now, this may come as a bit of a surprise here, Matt, considering how you and I were talking about Matt Murray a, a couple weeks ago. But I really do think that he may have turned a leaf here. Now, last night's game, or yeah, last night's game against Edmonton was not the greatest example of what Matt Murray is capable of because he had an 892 save percentage and four goals against. But that game was a bit of a shootout. With all the offensive firepower on both teams, I think that one was destined to be a high-scoring game, and it ultimately was in a 6-5. But you look at that game against Calgary, he had a 6 sorry, a 964 save percentage, Mac, and he only allowed one goal and he faced 28 shots and he looked solid. He looked really good in net. And I I think that playing under Trent Mann and the Belleville Senators, they have great conditioning down there. And that's one thing the Sens have always had in Belleville, Binghamton, wherever the AHL affiliate is. They've always had guys that are really, really good at conditioning. And I think that Sending him down to the AHL might have just been the wake-up call he needed. He looks a lot more confident in that, Mac. He looks healthy. He looks good. And I th- the Sens are also giving him more support, too. This is The other thing I've noticed is that they aren't hanging him out to dry quite as much. As I said, last night's game is not the greatest example because it was a shootout-type game. But the game against Calgary looked like almost the perfect Senators game there, Mac. They played really, really well. They got a well-deserved win against a team that has been on a bit of a slide as of late, but Calgary, you know, beating them 4-1, Calgary is never a pushover. And after being off for almost two weeks, that's got to be quite good. It, and I think this is a sense team that uh, not a lot of people have been talking about as of late, Mac. And you know, I love to gush about the Senators, but I think it's also fair to say I also like ranting about the Senators. But you look at the teams that they've beaten over their last 10, and yes, I'm going all the way back almost a month now, Mac. But you you beat Tampa Bay at home for nothing. Then you go on the road and you go through Florida again. You you destroy the Florida Panthers at home eight to two. And as you mentioned, Mac, they're basically unbeatable at home with that twenty one three and zero record at home. And then you, 
the next night you go, you play Tampa Bay, you lose two to one in a really, really tight game. You lose four to three to Philly in overtime in another well-played game. And then you're off for two weeks. You have a real stinker of a game against the Leafs. But after being off for two weeks, I think we can excuse that one. And they've beaten two good teams. They beat them in. uh, They beat two teams that have been pretty good in the Flames and Oilers this year. Yeah, they're both on a bit of a slide. But you look at their upcoming schedule here, Mac. This team is not going to make the playoffs. But I think they can be a a team that will be a thorn in a lot of people's side if they can keep playing like this. Because... They're using their speed. And that's what I really like seeing here, Mac. Because you and I have talked about the Sens prospect pool before and how much talent there is and how much skill there is. But you look at the points leaders right now, Mac. Drake Batherson is having a fabulous year. You and I mentioned he made the All-Star team. He's got 30 points this year. And he is just killing it. Josh Norris is also having a really good year. He's tailed off a little bit as of late. But he's still having a pretty good year. Brady Kachuk has found his mojo. Thomas Shabbat is always really good. Stutzel, Formatin, Ennis has been pretty good too. Actually, it's some, you and I like to rag on the veteran depth there, Mac, but Tyler Ennis has been pretty good, especially as a guy who was a PTO. And I got to talk about Zub Mac. He's been pretty good. The thing is, the sentence seem to have gelled a little more together. They seem to be playing as a unit. And one more guy I got to talk about because he's only played in three games. But he's been quite good for Ottawa. You and I, I remember last year, you and I talked about how much of a disaster the Autumn Godet trade was for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. And of course, that was under betting. So a lot of trades were, but Ottawa got Adam Godet for basically nothing. And he's got two goals and one assist in three games right now. And he's been a pretty good depth piece for the Senators. Now, there are, of course, there are still issues with the Sens. You and I have talked about the defensive depth in-depth here many, many times. I still have a few questions about Matt Murray, despite my positivity around him right now. But this is a team that is beating good teams right now, Mac. And it seems like the adversity they face this year through COVID, through constant postponements, through injuries, they seem to have gelled. They seem, if you watch any of their post-game videos, Mac, there is so much chemistry between this team. And... I think that going down the stretch, they're not, as I said, they're not going to make the playoffs, but this is a team that let's say the Leafs need a win or the Panthers need a win to move up in the standings or something or clinch a playoff spot. The Sens should not be looked at as a pushover team. Before we wrap on the Sens, I mean, obviously some positive things this year and we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but put your GM hat on here, Matt. Going into next year, you've got improving players in Kachuk, Stutzla, Batherson, Zub, etc. Where where do they really need to improve? Is there anything specific they really need? They need better veteran depth. And they also need defensive depth. But I think veteran depth, this is the most important one. I know you and I have talked about this probably three or four times on this show now, Mac. But it's worth repeating because... Having some good veteran depth, like a guy like Tyler Ennis, who I mentioned a moment ago, having guys like that, or Zach Sanford, who is who can be there as key good depth players, who are also guys that know the league, know what it takes to win in this league. This is a young team, Mac. You and I have mentioned this many, many times before. And these guys need a little guidance, and they need some guys who know the league. They know how to shut 
shut down opponents and close out games. That's what they need. It, it may not be something fancy like, oh, we need, you know, a, a big, big piece. No, they just need some good veteran depth. And you look at younger teams that have that, like Detroit, like LA, like Anaheim, teams that have more veteran depth that they can rely on to help their young guys when they're struggling. That It makes all the difference, Mac. And it's not going to cost the Sens a lot to get that. They just need to have some good pro scouting here, find some guys they can target, sign them, and and then they should be pretty good next year, I'd say. Yeah, those are good points. Okay, let's wrap on Gary Bettman and the Quebec Nordiques, shall we? Yes. Now, this is one that may not have gotten to everyone's attention. Of course, there's been lots going on on the ice. But I, I think this is something worth touching on briefly, Mac, because I think it's a good... It's a good picture of what the league as a whole financially is looking like. Because basically what NH what NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has said is that the league is not currently in a in a position to get in Quebec. They don't like the situation there, is basically what he's saying. And I, I know a lot of people who would love to see a return of the Quebec Nordiques, and I imagine you and I are both in that boat there, Mac. But I think that Gary Bettman is right in this occasion because let's look at the state of the league right now. You've just expanded to 32 teams. You've had to deal with COVID for the past three seasons now, and you're still dealing with a lot of issues there. And I think the key thing here, Mac, is it, and I know a lot of Canadian hockey fans don't want to hear this, but it's, I need to say it. If you're NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman, the owner's, and you're voting on it, let's say you want to expand to 33, 34 teams, and you get, let's say, you get Houston, Kansas City, let's say another team in LA or San Diego or someplace like that, and you have Quebec City. Quebec City would be at the bottom on my list, and this is someone who wants, who would love to see a team in Quebec City because there's so many markets in the States right now that don't have an NHL team that would be Really, really good for an NHL team. I know a big one that the NHL would love to get into is Houston. And, of course, the Coyotes are having issues with their arenas. That's something we can talk about in another episode. But, you know, if the Houston Rockets owner, for example, let's say he wants to put an NHL team in Houston and you've got a group from Quebec City and you can only put one, I'm putting a team in Houston because that's the fourth largest market in the United States. And let's not forget... NHL players are paid in American dollars, Mac. The NHL would much rather pay American taxes than Canadian taxes. And, you know, regardless of what you think about the COVID response in Canada or the United States, it's a lot more relaxed in the United States right now. And that does make a difference. And it is something a lot of these owners will think about. So as much as I would love to see the Quebec Nordiques come back, and I know a lot of people aren't going to be happy with Gary Bettman saying it's not going to happen, at least not in the next little while i think he's right to say it he knows that there's an opportunity there he did mention mac that he will keep in touch with the guys in quebec city because he knows that there's an opportunity there i think the most likely thing that would cause a quebec nordiques return mac would be if a, a similar situation to the atlanta thrashers mac a team without an arena without anyone who really wants to own them and the nhl has no choice but to move them but the NHL, they want to expand more in the United States. They want to grow the game of hockey. And as you mentioned to me, Mac, I think 
that the NHL is sort of maxed out with what they can do in Canada right now is crazy as that sounds. I think you're right. Well, yeah. I mean, if you just put it in perspective, okay, every time the world juniors or the Olympics come around, who has the best team on paper? It's always Canada. Hockey is Canada's game. Well, anyway, so it, it's just, there's not really any opportunities in Canada right now that the NHL would jump at because like you said, there's way more reason to expand to bigger cities in the U S let's face facts. The U S is way bigger than we are in population. There's way more markets that the NHL could tap into and develop a successful franchise. You look at the success of a franchise like Vegas, how much hockey has grown in Florida, Carolina, Minnesota, like, all these places that have been success stories for the NHL, you could even throw Columbus in there if you wanted to. These are great stories, and there's every reason to believe they want to continue to tap into those markets and grow the game of hockey, which is really what we all want. So I think it's okay to be upset about it. I understand it that, but you should be happy to see the game of hockey touching so many places, especially in the States that never even thought about it. Absolutely. And I will say this, Mac, and I think it's a good way to end off this point, Mac. If there were no Arizona Coyotes, would the Leafs have Austin Matthews right now? Right? You know, if there was no expansion to LA, Anaheim, Southern United States, would Austin Matthews be the number one center for the Leafs right now? I don't think so. Yeah, no, that's, that's, per- that's a very valid point. And there are plenty of players that have developed in Florida, LA, other places that hockey has really grown since then that just didn't have that kind of opportunity before they would have developed somewhere else. So anyway, let's wrap up the show here. I thought we had a lot of great discussions today. I'll hand it off to Matt here. Yeah. I think we had some good stuff to touch on today, Mac. We got lots of games coming up a lot that need to be rescheduled. So it's going to be a mad dash to the end of the season and into the playoffs. So lots and lots of stuff to look forward to. As always, you can find center ice on any podcast platform. We are always brought to you by the national podcast network. Enjoy the game guys. Have a good one. (laughs) 